llama shorts for those moments when you are stretched on time. Roger, I really appreciate you sharing your story and you're an expert in leadership. I mean, leading a university for so long and being involved in so many things. And and the other thing that we didn't even necessarily talk about was how long you've been married, leading leading your household for so long. I mean, just talking about expert leadership and just having all this experience. um, You know, the first, you know, thing I wanted to approach was we talk about organizational culture a lot. You know, there's books on it. We talk about a lot. And we talk about how, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of cultures that need to be changed. Like, you know, the ones that accept poor behavior, maybe even toxic, uh, maybe even just a culture of mediocrity. Sometimes that goes on, the list goes on and on. Um, I've discovered a lot of times we just talk about it like at a superficial level, but you have some hidden keys that can dramatically change an organizational culture. I was hoping that you might share some of those with us. Yeah, culture is so critical. It really Mm -hmm. is because a leader can stand up all day and say, we're going to go this direction or that direction. Mm -hmm. But if you can't change the culture, you you don't have the ability to execute and you don't have the ability to mobilize the kind of energy that's necessary to make those kind of changes. And so, yeah, I I look at a lot of things. and, And to me, it starts with really accepting and embracing the culture you come into as a leader. Now, you know, you're in the military, you get moved. So you move from one I mean, there's a culture of the military, but every assignment has a different culture. So you come into that new culture and there's a tendency to say, well, we're going to come and change this. Well, I think first you've got to appreciate what's there. Mm -hmm. And, And I think leaders get in trouble because they come in and try to bring the change so rapidly that the people who are there feel threatened that well, you don't see the value in what we do have and who we are. And mm-hmm. so when you embrace that, so, so I like to, to look at the, to, at what I inherit when I take a new leadership role and to really respect what's there and the people who are there. And yeah, it's far from perfect. And the new culture you're going to bring in place is not perfect either. So, you know, don't, <laughs> don't assume that you've only got good. They've got good. So respect that and then show them that you agree on the values. They will be willing to change after they know that you agree in the values. And you probably do in most cases for leaders. And if we identify and make visible and purposeful uh, statements and actions that show we value what they value, then we know our mission's protected. And then I go to the next level before I move from changing culture, which is really to honor the traditions and the symbols. And the traditions and symbols matter a lot. And um, it's so easy to, in coming into a new culture, because you don't have the history, to want to change some of that. But when you do, it makes people feel uncertain. The whole thing about change is we're trying to get people to not be nervous about the change and to accept the change. So if they know you, you, you respect them, you share their mission, and that you value what they value, now we have a foundation where we can agree on the change. And so then, you know, it's, it's kind of moving into a, a process of change. And I think you said it well right there in the introduction of your question of, of tolerating uh, bad behavior. No, don't tolerate bad behavior. Model what you do want it to be and don't tolerate what you don't want it to be. Now that comes in a process first of modeling it. And too often we're just correcting other people and, and I think the people around us who follow us when we're put in leadership want to 
pick up on cues and if we'll model it first and then be a little bit more gentle in the corrections. Um, you know, my, my new book that I just released, I have a, of a section on, on forward uh, focused evaluation. And when we're trying to evaluate people so often, if they make a mistake, we look at what they did, how can, how can we identify that mistake, uh, beat them up over it for a little bit, make them feel real guilty. And then we kind of we kind of make them cower down. Well, all we're doing is keeping them from really using their gifts and talents because they don't want to make the mistake again. Instead, you correct the mistake and then you you equip them for forward success. And when you do that, it's amazing how it frees up people the next time around. So I think I think that's part of the culture. You know, there's a big part of the culture is celebrating the success when they do get it right. And uh you know, when I first came to Belly, I mean, we're school of 5,000 students now. When I first came, it was like 800 students, and, and the place was a mess and all kinds of problems. I remember when we first got the, the lawns mowed, we had a celebration to, to <laughs> celebrate that we got our lawns mowed right, and the place looked decent. You know, uh, I mean, you've got to celebrate sometimes in changing a culture, even the smallest things, but let people feel good about it and part of it. So, so those are some of the things that are important to me. And then as you get more deeply into culture change and and things be and the stakes get higher that's when you really got to explain the anticipated culture changes before they happen so we're we're going to change this and here's why too often we talk about what we're going to change who we're going to change how we're going to change when we're going to change we don't talk about the why the why is the key question why are we changing that culture? So if the culture is a shift that everybody gets here on time, well, what's what's the advantage of that? Not just who, what, when, and where, but why are we doing this? Whatever that culture change is. And that's a simplistic example, but, but I think we've got to explain that. And then really, you know, I'm interested in infusing a small team to really um, model that and begin to build out a web of people who understand it and embrace it. So, you know, to me, culture change is one of the most fascinating aspects of leadership. And it's not done simply, and it's not done quickly. And that's, I think, part of the challenge. And again, I know you've got a lot of military listeners. Uh, part of the challenge is you all move so fast. <laughs> in new settings, it's hard to get that culture established because people are coming in and out all the time. And that's why it's good you have an overarching culture that the rest of us don't have. And that's a, that's a plus to the military. But, but it, it is a challenge. But I think people want to do better, but they're fearful of change. If we can take the fear away, then they're willing to get out of their mediocrity and do better. Yeah, I love that. I think that I mean, you just took us to a, a master's level at minimum uh, <laughs> course to uh, uh, talking about organizational change, because there are a lot of challenges like you mentioned. And I think for us in the military, um, ego plays a lot into it. We go from one place and it worked for us. And we're like, OK, we were we we're we we're hot over here. So when I get to my next place, I'm just going to implement this cookie cutter, you know, whatever yeah. it might be, just whether it's a process or just my, my values, and I'm going to just put them on my people and they're going to accept it because I have a resume and I'm awesome and this and that. And it's like, no, you still have to <laughs> create that connection. Like you talk exactly. about at the beginning of that. And it'd be, I, I had a friend that said the best, he said, you got to create a connection before the correction. 
Yeah, you you really do. If if you don't trust has to be earned. It's not mm-hmm. awarded and mm-hmm. it doesn't come by position. I mean, mm-hmm. position gets you position gets you the ability to do things faster, but it doesn't earn your trust. Mm-hmm. You have to earn the trust. And so, you know, I, I, I think, it has, as you said, you come in with the ego. Well, you know, I've written ego is an obnoxious megaphone and it, it amplifies all your worst characteristics. We've got to put our ego on the side. And, and I really encourage leaders to do that. The challenge with ego is that it's an occupational hazard. So if you come in and you're in the military, you've got a high rank, or I come in as a university president, you know, people look up, they give you the platform, you know, they clap for us and whatever. They tell us all we're great, uh, whether we are or not, uh, because it goes with the position. That's pretty dangerous. And so I really encourage leaders that you've got to be purposeful to to minimize the ego and to lift up the other people because at the end of the day you can't get the job done if they don't do their what they're gifted to do and so you know uh letting that ego go aside if you don't it's it's an eventual crash and burn we see that at every level from from politics to business to military to the church every time ego is the driver yeah, it will sustain for a while, but eventually there will be a crash and burn. But even what's worse is the cancer that tears inside that person who's living off that ego because it creates an addiction to an adrenaline. It takes it creates an addiction to a, a, a misperception of who God made them to be. And, uh, and really what their calling is, if God gives us the opportunity to lead, then our job is to equip and to help others be successful, not to bring all the attention to us. So in my new book, I write about turning the spotlight around. And, um, you know, leaders get enough spotlight. Let's put the spotlight on some other people. And, you know, I, I tell my campus often, the most important person on our campus is not the university president or not the head of the faculty or whoever that is. The most important person is the plumber. Because if the plumber doesn't do their job right, we're all out of business. We close the place down. And we've got to keep in perspective what people do that make an organization successful and really value that in them. And I think when we do, that's when people really respond to leadership. You don't have to go out and seek status. It'll come if you're in position, and it will come if you earn it. And so I really, really do encourage that. And, and part of that to me is giving the credit away. I just really firm believer in crediting the people who are actually doing the work. And I often challenge leaders. I'll say, take a week and don't give the credit away. But in, in a week, write down every opportunity you would have had to give somebody credit. And just for a week, be conscious of that. And you'll be shocked at how many opportunities you had to say thanks to somebody, to lift somebody up, to appreciate what they did. You know, I think so often in leadership, uh, what we think is easy takes other people a lot of time, and we don't appreciate that in them. 
I'm always kind of careful on my campus. When I ask for something, I'll say, if this doesn't take a lot of time, would you do this for me? Because a lot of times I'll find out, I'll say, you know, I'd, I'd like a report on XYZ. And I find out later they work three days on it. I didn't mm. know it. I thought it was a 10 minute job, push a button and get right. the report. And uh, so, you know, there, there are ways in which we can honor the people around us, get our ego out of the way and really help them become uh, the people that God intended them to be. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There was so much there. I, I love, I love our discussion on ego. Cause I think it's something that every leader, every group of just teammates should talk about regularly and often and trying to tame that ego. But, you know, I wanted to go back to some of the cultural change things. I, I loved what you said um, about agreeing on values, I, you know, uh, so often, you know, we, we focus on our differences so much and not enough on our shared values or, or the fact that we we do have common interests and, and values towards, you know, a goal. Uh, and, and it's and it pro- probably ego plays in that somewhere, too. But it, it is. And I think that your point on that is important. Another thing, you can't just try to rush this stuff when you're trying to change culture. You just can't just rush it when you try to speed through things. And most things in life, I've discovered when you try to speed through it. It doesn't work out very well. It doesn't, and you can't muscle your way through it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing that in a in a in a national, at least, and global way right now with mm-hmm. some of the politics that's going on. People are trying to muscle their idea as the idea or the way to do it, mm-hmm. and trying to belittle others in the process of that. Mm-hmm. And and you're absolutely dead on right. It's it's something I believe so strong. We have so much more in common than we do in different. Mm-hmm. I don't care. You can take the farthest right Republican and the farthest left Democrat. Mm-hmm. We've still got a ton in common. Let's mm-hmm. figure out what we have in common. Let's agree on that. Let's respect each other for mm-hmm. that. And then, yeah, we can we can debate ideas. But I think I think it's this trying to take and force that to happen. So mm-hmm. everybody agrees with me and to do it muscle or intimidation or do it in a way that makes one person subservient to the other it doesn't work it's not sustainable we've seen it through history over and over and over again the only way you change culture is to get people to embrace it and to care for it and to and to want to bring about change and and that all comes back to the core mission of their life and really their calling and purpose and when we can agree there boy you know then then the sky's the limit of what we can do we're way too divided yeah, I agree. I think I think too often we talk we're like focused on how to get there. This is my way and this is the right way versus hey, we both have the same goal of this organization being successful, right? We're focusing on the such of the differences of how to get there instead of having a conversation. And and sometimes we bully, you know, some people bully their way to get the win on that, but you just shut down the other person and now they're really not on your team. They might not be arguing with you anymore, but they're not right. helping you get towards your goal. Yeah. Yeah. And they will eventually push back in other ways. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I see this with university presidents a lot, the the ones who are the bully to try to get their way. It's interesting Mm -hmm. how they'll always get caught up in some other problem. People can't Mm -hmm. push back on the place where they bully, but Mm -hmm. they'll push back on something else. And Mm -hmm. eventually it comes back around. So, you know, there are better ways to do it, a lot better uh, uh, ways to do it. Again, they come back to that problem you raised of ego, uh, mm-hmm. because we want our idea to be right. We want our way to be right. We want people to respond to us. Well, you know, others got different, have different perspectives. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the topic of the, the ego too, because and you often talk about deflating your ego to expand your influence. And I think that's so true. People who, who let their egos control them, oftentimes that influence, that circle of influence will start shrinking and they might not even yeah. notice it because their ego is getting in the way of just being aware of that even happening at the time. Yeah, it really is. They, they become oblivious mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to what's going on around them. And they really mm-hmm. think it all revolves around them. You mm-hmm. know what? It doesn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a, I, I was young. Uh, and I was an expert on the fries and the grill when I worked at Wendy's when I was young. <laughs> and I thought I was, I was, I thought I was, you know, the bee's knees on everything. And um, I had a, yeah. an older person gave me my first lesson in um, humility, and she, she grabbed a cup of water and said, "Hey, this is the job." I was like, "Yeah." And she put her finger in it. She said, "This is you in the job." I was like, "Okay." And then she took her finger out and was like, "This is after you leave the job. Does it look any different?" <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I was like, "Man," she. Yeah, I was like, like, man, that was harsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I needed it. <laughs> but yeah, That's I think good. the ego, yeah, it gets in the way. And I think sometimes, you know, um, it's, it's interesting the, 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 how it relates. There's a correlation between low self-esteem and ego too, because it seems like that people who have low self-esteem try to bolster their own ego to make themselves feel better about things. And, and, you know, um, sometimes they'll start focusing, um, Dr. Terry Lyles, he had a great book and he talked about, um, the acronym VCR. I think some of our younger listeners won't even know what a VCR is anymore, but, (laughs) (laughs) but but he talked about how you need to have, you know, your values should lead to your character, living to your values. Then you got character, Mm. And then those two in conjunction will, will should create your reputation. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. nowadays, a lot of people are like, this is the reputation I wish to have. Now, let me adjust my values and character to that. And it doesn't work right. backwards. No, it doesn't. It absolutely does not. No, it's, it's got to be earned. And it's got to mm-hmm. be earned over time. Um, you know, again, leaders can have, be a flash for a short period of time with mm-hmm. a certain level of bullying, a certain level of, of uh dominance, but you're right. They are hiding their insecurity. They're hiding their inability. Uh, They just come with so much power that people can't push back, but power doesn't change much in the long run. Uh, It really doesn't. It might bring some immediate change, but it doesn't bring cultural change and it sure doesn't bring embrace. We can do so much better and, you know, uh, I mean, I look at it from a Christian college perspective and, you know, if, if we could honor the people around us th- in the way that God honors them and, and really help facilitate their life to a fullness, it's amazing what gets done. Uh, I've always found if I can get the right person in the right job where their calling is fulfilled, I don't have to worry about motivating them. I don't have to worry about correcting them. I don't have to worry about pushing them. They will come through. And uh, that matchup is, is one of the fun parts of leadership. Yeah, I think that's one of the key components that a lot of people don't consider as leaders that they're, you know, they're task managing, they're executing things, but they're not talent managing right like not really mm-hmm. taking their teammates and and uh, addressing their needs and putting them in the right positions and in the military some people will say well we don't really have that uh capability and i will say no that's false there's plenty of opportunities for us to be put into different positions that mm-hmm. kind of allow us to live to the amazing that's us you know get into one position or another that might live to our values and still be able to stretch them a little bit put them in something mm-hmm. that might be for that growth mm-hmm. i think that's also very important yeah, it really is. I mean, every leader should be mentoring. 
And mm-hmm. our goal is not correcting. Our goal is not controlling. Our goal is mentoring and helping people become fulfilled in whatever the job. But there are no perfect jobs. There are mm-hmm. none. I mean, you know, everybody says, well, I wish I was a university president. And how do I become one? And my question to them always is, do you want to get the job or do you want to do the job? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people want the prestige of a leadership, but they don't want the hard difficult work of it, but there are no perfect jobs. And, uh, you know, I think all of us trade off a certain amount of difficulty in a job for the wonderful parts that we love. And that's just the nature of the business. Uh, and, and leaders help appreciate that and lift that up. And, and they say, yeah, I know you don't like this part, but I need you to do it anyway. And, you know, um, I, I think looking at the whole of a, both the person and the job and fitting that together really change the dynamic of that leader follower relationship. There's an adage, you know, the old adage that says, you know, uh, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. And I'm like, no, that's not true. I was like, you can love what <laughs> yeah. you do. There's still going to be days where you're putting in work, you know, it's going to yeah, be some yeah. rough days, long days and all those things. So I think Absolutely. it's a dangerous, I think that's a dangerous thing to say regularly because <laughs> somebody might be like, well, maybe this, it's been hard this week. Maybe this isn't something I love. Right. And it's like, that doesn't mean that's the case. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. L- listen to Tiger Woods and the professional golfers complain about how hard it is mm-hmm. for them and how much they grind and they do but uh, the rest of us will go love to play golf and yeah. uh you're absolutely right every every job there is a there is a is a grinding to it that is important in order to achieve the great things we want to do for more on this discussion be sure to check out the entire episode be safe stay healthy keep growing llamas out